Hey, it's David Goldman, and you're listening to The Light Source. And welcome to Episode 7 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net. StudioLighting.net introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting techniques and equipment. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, image inspector and exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. Thanks for joining us on today's show. We are going to have an interview with uh, David Goldman, a talented commercial photographer who's probably best known. Um, well, when I looked at his portfolio, the first thing that jumped out of my mind was a, uh, a Blink-182 album cover and a bunch of other stuff that I've definitely seen before. Yeah, the guy's just ultra talented and we're really excited to have him on the show to talk about you know, just his photography and his approach to lighting. So a couple unique in, things. And living on a kibbutz in Israel. A kibbutz in Israel. That's that's right. Yeah, he, he mentioned that as well. So that'll be a good interview. Um, what's going on in lighting? Um, Adobe, I'm sure everyone's probably seen this all over the place. Adobe came up, is a public beta of a new software app that's coming out this projected for later this year called Lightroom. I've seen a little bit about Lightroom. It's quite impressive. I can't wait. Well, the beta is only available for the Mac right now. Yeah. So, and being a PC user. Yeah, I'm out as well. <laughs> we don't have any of the fun. Adobe, get that get the PC version done, please. They're calling it a beta. You can actually download it for free and play with it if you are a Mac user. Um, I think it's more like an alpha, though. Just I hear, I hear conflicting things. Some people are saying it's more of an alpha because the... The UI is changing, and I guess there's a new build that just came out this week, and okay. it's even different again this week. Wow. But a lot of the guys that I've seen in some of the forums, they've said, you know, ship this thing now. It's great. That's amazing. So this is like we talked a lot about on previous shows about Aperture, mm -hmm. uh, the Apple product, and this this seems similar to that. Which... And that's probably about all there really is for news right now because uh, PMA is right around the corner. That's a good point. So everybody's holding off their big surprises for, for the PMA. PNA being the biggest probably uh, national like imaging conference that, that's in America. Right. I think it's in Orlando, Florida this year. Yeah, there's a couple big expos that each year and it seems like all of the photographer all the photography companies wait until these big expos to to make their big announcements right. to the public. Um, there's Photo Plus that happens typically in the fall PMAs. Um, in, the, in the beginning part of the spring, and there's another one in August. I can't think of which one it is. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, that's where guys would talk about their new equipment and try to show off in front of their core audience. And this year, I think PMAs is February 26th through March 1st. So uh, if you can get down there, that would be a you, lot of fun. You think it's in that exact time frame? Yeah, no, I think it's in that exact time frame. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that it's in that exact time frame because I'm looking at my notes now. <laughs> Speaking of that, it's probably probably time to get the interview rolling. Yeah, let's move into it. We're talking tonight with David Goldman. Uh, David's from New York, New York, and his work can be seen at Dibzy.com. That's D-I-B-Z-Y.com. Dibzy. Dibzy, okay. Speaking of Dibzy.com, where did that name come from? Uh, that's a nickname that I got in in grade six and it just sort of was like we were handing out nicknames and that was mine that day it's nothing really all that dramatic it just sort of happened okay, and it well, stuck that explains that <laughs> we were wondering about that 
Well, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the photography? Um, how I got started in photography? Well, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I remember taking a, a class trip to Quebec. I'm from Canada, and took some photos out there, and I liked the way they, they looked. I thought I did a good job, but of course I was really young and didn't really know anything about it. And then in high school, they had a, in my high school in Toronto, they had something called a work placement co-op program, which allowed you to, for a semester, work with, uh, you know, whatever type of industry you're interested in. And I, and I was thinking back to my time uh, with pictures, and I don't know, it seemed kind of cool. And there was a way that I could work with a fashion photographer in Toronto, so I took it up, even though I was actually, I, I was theoretically finished high school. I decided to hang out for another semester and do this uh, this program, and I was placed with a, with a fashion photographer in downtown Toronto. And... Uh, and that's sort of how it all started. So that you got started first then in fashion. Yeah, I was I was involved in fashion quite a bit. All that was my first introduction. I thought, wow, this is awesome. Okay. Uh, lots of pretty girls and <laughs> and and rock and roll music, and it all seemed really cool to me. So that was uh, my introduction to photography in Toronto. You didn't stay in Toronto then. I didn't stay. I stayed. Well, I assisted. I was in high school where I kind of got my introduction. And then I, then I went to, uh, after high school, I'd always planned on going to Europe, just, you know, save money and travel Europe. My friend's brother always talked about that and seemed like a cool idea. So I saved some money after my, after like school ended. I was finished school in the middle of a, in the middle of the year. We have semesters up there. So I finished in January and I worked till May. Uh, I made enough money to just, to take off. So I traveled by myself. I bought a Minolta 7000 digital, or not digital, but an autofocus camera at the time. And I just went off and took pictures. That's great. And basically, like, just took tons of pictures. And I, I worked on, um, I traveled for five months throughout Europe. And then I worked on, um, on a kibbutz in Israel that was, oh. I guess they were trying to appeal to, to young Jewish kids to try to move to Israel and, and live there and give some credits towards a university degree uh, through one of the universities and I and they had a photography program at one of the kibbutz kibbutzes so I decided to not come home and I went to the kibbutz for like another four months and I worked on this photography thing and I I just was working in a dark room and, and taking pictures around Israel and, and my pictures wow. were were quite different than what I had taken sort of previously. I had actually applied to schools from what I had, from the pictures I had taken before I went away to Europe and, and wasn't accepted anywhere. Oh, wow. And then <laughs> it was like, no, you suck, so you can't come. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so I'm going to, so I just sort of took off to Europe. And then I, I took all these pictures. And then I suddenly got early acceptance from all the pictures that I had taken in Europe. I was accepted to Brooks in California and Rhode Island School of Photography uh, and some places in Canada. And, you know, at the time, the exchange rate was really, really not in favor of Canada. So I stayed in Canada, and I went to a school called Sheridan College. And they're, really, they're actually really well known for their animation, and but they have a good commercial photography program. I knew that I wanted to do commercial photography, not really art photography. So I went there and I and I worked. I went for two years, and just worked on the basics, you know, darkroom stuff. And that, at that time, digital was really, really just in its infancy. They had these—I don't remember what they were—but these crappy sort of Casio uh, digital cameras that was like on high alert. You could take them out, but you had to like completely baby them oh, nice. for the day. 
<laughs> they probably thinking back, they probably had like half a meg worth of a file. <laughs> it was probably like eight hundred dollars at the time or something. But uh, anyway, so so I did that. I worked, at, you know, learned four by five stuff and and uh, studio, just your classic sort of uh, cylinders and boxes and you know that kind of thing, shadows and like. How did you end up from a kibbutz in Israel to ending up in L.A. shooting uh, Blink One Eighty Two and Coldplay? <laughs> well. Uh, there's no there's no fast answer to that, but basically, I was in Toronto and I got an I was assisting at at a place called the Watt Group, which was like they they do all the off brand photography for like if a drugstore has their own sodas or potato chips or cookies or that kind of thing. So we would do all the the product photography for those kind of for like a Safeway Select or whatever, and they offered me a job there, and it was going to be basically in a room shooting products. And I looked at it like the golden handcuffs and thought, well, good, I'll make, I'll make decent money, but it'll be creatively stagnant and I'll <laughs> want to hang myself in no time. Yeah, right. and, and so I, yeah, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time and my parents were moving to a condo and I had a dog that my landlord wouldn't let me keep. And oh, no. I, decided to do, yeah, I decided to do a road trip and, and I called a buddy who I had met when I was traveling Europe who lived in Aspen. And he's like, yeah, come on down, man. Bring the dog. We'll, we'll hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I packed up the dog and the cameras and the mountain bike, and I took off to Aspen. And I took pictures along the way, sort of my trip across America, and um, ultimately made my way to L.A. I have an uncle there who, who used to be a writer in television, and, uh, and I hung out, and I started, when I got to L.A., I thought, man, I, I just, the only thing I really know is how to assist in photography. So I opened up a workbook, and I... The, at a like a dark room, and the guy wouldn't let me photocopy any of the any of the names inside. He made I had to hand like by hand. I had to copy out like probably like four page of legal pad, uh, single space <laughs> oh, names wow. of photographers, and I, I was kind of pissed off, but I did it. And I I'm, and then I was like, I just started calling every photographer that I could think of to assist. And then suddenly I started working through Smashbox, and I, which is it's sort of a big um, photo rental studio in L.A., a lot of, you know, Vandy Fair and Esquire and all these, um, you know, they do all the covers and everything through there. So I started working there. I made friends with them. And if photographers would come to town that needed an assistant, they would, you know, I was on the list, so they would call me. Cool. And, um, and so, so I started to assist with a lot of photographers I was working with. Annie Leibovitz and Wayne Mazur and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> and 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 a photographer named Michael Levine. Uh, I worked with him as well, who did a lot, who sort of documented the whole Seattle grunge scene. Yeah, and he was really cool to me, whatever. And during when I was working with him, I met art directors, and I met an art director who who uh, um, ended up calling me later on. You know, I would take my book to him as as I was testing for it. I was just I would just be building my book up, and I actually started working with a photographer named Moshe Braca, uh, who was really well known for the Airwalk ads uh, in the '90s and all the Martini Rossi and Camel cigarettes, and uh, an amazing photographer who I learned a lot from. During that time, uh, this art director called me to bring my book in, and he asked me. He was at MCA and he asked me if I wanted to shoot packaging for this band blink 182 nice. and at the time they they were they'd only sold like a couple hundred thousand records on their previous records so certainly there was no way to know uh to what degree you know the album that i would be working on would sell 
I just said, of course I'll shoot it. Like, why, why wouldn't I? Right. And, uh, and, uh, not knowing, not knowing really a lot about, you know, what you're supposed to get paid or whatever. I was just happy to get the job. So basically that's how, that's how I got the gig. And, and, uh, and, uh, he, he had what I had done previously, like some of the promos that I put together and he said, yeah, it would be perfect. So we, we set it up with the idea. The first half of the album was going to be called um, Turn Your Head and Cough. But then, like, very late in it, they changed it to Enema of the State. Oh, so okay. I was trying to think up, kind of come up with ideas of what, what would be, you know, good for Turn Your Head and Cough. And I thought it would be cool to, like, shoot through legs and just see some, some like, sexy hand on a guy's back uh-huh. on his jeans. Um, something like that. And then it just evolved. And I had made a lot of friends with different SEPTA, SEPTA uh, decorators and all that kind of thing. And, uh, we, you know, we built the sets and we did everything. And I, I just sort of conceived of the whole the glove thing. And That's a great image. Cool. It probably helped sell the album. I, yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely took on a life of its own. It's, in, it's interesting to, I mean, that was the first album cover I ever did. And for it to be so so big and so so well received you know regardless of the music but just to see it as a you know posters and billboards yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool for me so that is really cool and i was only yeah i was like 20 when did it come out 90 i was like 28 or 29 or something at the time so wow. it was pretty cool for me it was like uh it was a pretty pretty good time you know <laughs> so, so now how old are you now so just to get an idea of time how, frame that's probably like gonna, five six years ago well, I can't hear you very well. What? That was probably like what five, six years ago, something like that. I'm trying to yeah, think when that album I, was I'm out. I'm going to be I'm going to be 36 in February. So that was done in '99, I think. '98 okay. or '99. That was shot that. Were the albums where you pretty much got into the commercial art, or did you go into? Or did like the the work that you do with Wire Image Stock? Did that come later, or was that before? Or well, that kind of stuff, I I just sort of. You know, I have a lot of friends, and we were silly, and we goof off, and I'm just, you know, I have the camera when I'm when I'm at the cottage, you know, camping. I'm trying to, you know, think what's going on on a trend level, and but yet what appeals to me as a creative person. But then, you know, when I'm traveling, if I'm in Hong Kong or Thailand, I sort of gravitate towards, um, you know, like like little communities, and I and. I find it interesting, like how children react, and you know, in in situations. So I, I just I'm sort of in in like photojournalist kind of way. And it, I'm, I, one thing that I, that I remember when I was in school, they talked about. Uh, although although I get a lot of sort of different opinions nowadays, but in school they would say, you know, like try to be able to do everything, uh, be be an expert in everything. You know, whether it's like shooting an airplane or shooting a corporate shot or shooting a computer. or or shooting a kid, or a wedding, or bar mitzvah, or whatever. Like, be able to handle everything. And so, I've always like been sort of proud of the fact that I started, you know, sweeping, sweeping the studio, the washroom at a studio. And I've worked in in annual reports when I was assisting. I've worked in fashion, and I've worked in rock and roll, and I've worked in all these kind of things. So, so I'm pretty well rounded. So, when I'm shooting sort of journalistic stuff, that's stuff that comes to me just sort of naturally and when i'm shooting uh like these high concept shots that's also naturally and and uh, you know and, and no problem for me so you also said that you have different opinions of that now about the being able to do everything oh well i, I find that the industry is like when you take your portfolio to places they, they 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 so much want you to be specific they'll say you know can you shoot you know, one of the conflicts I have constantly is, 
is, you know, I'll take my book and they'll say, do you shoot women? And I'll show, show my book and it'll be like, do you want to shoot somebody in a white t-shirt? Does he have anybody in a white t-shirt? It's like, well, we don't see a white t-shirt in his portfolio. Oh, wow. So how do we know he can shoot anybody in a white t-shirt? <laughs> and yet, I, and it, it, it seems sort of ridiculous to me when you see sort of the gamut of what I've shot right. that I need to actually show exactly <laughs> what they want to see because... I mean, what's the point of that? In my mind, but that's amazing. But then again, I've I've hired stylists and makeup artists, and I want to see what I'm trying to get a, get across. So I so on some level, I I actually understand what they're trying to do. Although it seems it seems sometimes very short sighted when you think you're in a creative industry. So it's sort of a strange dichotomy. <laughs> right. So now you do a bunch of different work. Would you say you? Sp- you're focusing mainly now on music or advertising stuff or a mix? Well, lately I've been focusing predominantly on music. When I first started doing the shift from assisting to shooting, my goal was to do advertising. That was like, in my mind, it's where the money was. It's where you can be the most creative and, and the most, you know, with money, uh, everybody's sort of working towards a common goal. But what happened was I, I started shooting music and music can be really creative because from from the label side of things, they're just just make it cool, like make it look really cool. So you with you know with no real parameters, other than make it cool, you know you can shoot. But the problem is the music industry has taken a real big hit in the last few years, and where budgets used to be you know twenty thousand dollars, now they're five thousand dollars or okay. seven thousand dollars. So you can you can eat up your whole budget before you even. You get to put anything in your pocket wow. um, very easily. So I personally see music and photography, like the combination, as kind of a dying breed. Or, or you know, there's so many kids that are coming out of school that are, uh, you know, that are good photographers with digital and learning how to manipulate and do all these things that the the labels don't. I mean, they can pick and choose who they want, and kids will be like, yeah, man, I'll shoot it. I'll shoot it for 1500 bucks. I don't care. Oh, okay. And they're sort of killing the industry because there's no union to, to monitor that kind of thing. It's all every man for himself. And so I don't think music photography is really um, going to be a sustainable way of, of making a living in, in the in the near future, like, you know, already now it's not. I mean, I know of sort of successful music photographers in the past who are really struggling and, and trying to reconcile how to how to adjust their, their business model to, to succeed, you know. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, how you shoot and your lighting. Is there like a, a constant style that you use for your, your advertising work? Or, I mean, do you, do you shift gears here and there? Or? Well, when I was assisting, I learned a couple of things. I learn things that I don't want to do and things that I do want to do. <laughs> and I, I, I worked with photographers I, I won't name names, you know, I'd like to, <laughs> I want, uh, who will come to a, to a set and bring just like just tons, tons of gear, like like unbelievable amount of gear. And these big photographers who shoot for Rolling Stone and, you know, and, and us and whatever and Vanity Fair, and they bring like just gobs and gobs and gobs of pro photo packs. I, I, when I was assisting once, I remember I showed up and I was like the fourth assistant on a job and I was like, holy mackerel. <laughs> there, there must have been like 20 pro photo packs, 20, like 2,400 watt, wow. you know, pro sixes at the time. And I was just like, what could you possibly need? <laughs> like, what are you lighting? Like, what are you, you know, what are you lighting here? An airport, an airplane? I don't know, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, and, I, and just like for my own self, like schlepping all that stuff around, ridiculous to me. 
and I would work with, and I will name the name here, like I worked with Moshe, and, and he really taught me to sort of, you know, don't, don't overlight. I mean, if you need, if you need 20 pro photo packs, okay, great. Use, don't be afraid to use 20 pro photo packs, but you can also, you know, light it just as well, probably with, uh, you know, with a pack and it doesn't, you know, and it doesn't need to be crazy. So I always go for a minimalistic, uh, you know, kind of show. Uh, I think some photographers feel they need to like show up with a lot of gear to make it look like there's a, a you know a big show going on. But for me, like the whole show is the picture at the end. That's what I'm going for. Absolutely. But yeah. So to answer your question about the lighting, when I'm shooting music, I I try to use I try to incorporate natural light. When I look at a location, I look at windows. I look at I look at the light that's that's coming into the place already. Because for me, locations. Like ninety percent of the of what goes on in my mind about location is the available light and how I can supplement it to just help it out a little bit because sometimes I work okay. like I was in LA last or last month and I shot at a place called the Paramore, which is an old uh, estate in Silver Lake that has beautiful beautiful lighting that's just sort of natural. But sometimes because it's winter, you know, the light doesn't last as long as it does in the summer, so you have to supplement it. So. I, I think, well, I got this great window light. What am I going to do to to help it out a bit? Uh, so, so I will, you know, basically supplement the the window light or the natural light with some flash, and 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 I do that quite a bit. I like okay. to I like to mix daylight and and flash. Um, I don't know, you know, and and I'm pretty old school in the sense like I'll use umbrellas and I'll use two sixteen silks that I'll hang in front of umbrellas for softness. Oh wow! Um, I, I use I use grids, you know, and I, I a lot of my stuff lately is sort of like I blast some light from the back. I'll just like throw some grids on and and just sort of blast them. I don't get like caught up in you know meter readings of like five point six two, five point six three, five point six four. I don't. I, I always think that that's kind of like it gets a little crazy because it's just I, I look at my Polaroids. I shoot six six four black and white Polaroids. I don't like to shoot color Polaroids. I find that they, they, they're kind of confusing for tonality and people get so caught up in the color and that's really not the color you're going to see in the film anyway. So I, I, I shoot black and white Polaroid all the time and because I know how it's going to look tonal, like on a tone level that uh, if it looks good, uh, if it's, you know, skin is kind of creamy and nice and I know generally it's going to be okay. Um, I used to do a lot of cross-processing, but I don't do that anymore. Um, and so now I just shoot a lot of, like, 160 VC and 160 N. Uh, although today I've been actually thinking about buying a digital camera and shooting and just, like, being done with the film altogether. <laughs> other, than four by, other than, like, 4x5, 665 that I really like, or Pike 55. What's kept you from uh, using digital so far, then? Well, I think the fact that I do so much music on location that mm -hmm. I don't... Uh, I like to shoot different types of film stocks. Okay. And the, and the digital doesn't have all the film stocks. Like I, uh, obviously, it's it, it is what it is. Now you can certainly manipulate it to look different ways, but uh, I'm not that experienced in in manipulating it. I'm I'm experienced in in cleaning it up and and making it nice. But you know, I'll shoot tungsten film and I'll shoot uh, different speeds and I'll shoot you know Polaroids and okay. all this different. Stuff. But I definitely, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly beginning to shoot 
digital more and more, and, and I know that it's going on, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, it, it's just a, it's a matter of time, and my assistants back in L.A. were like, dude, you have to shoot digital, man, I don't know what you're doing, you know, and I was like, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it, like, get off my back. I'm not, I'm not running and hiding from it, I definitely, uh, I'm already incorporating it. It's like everything is, become, you know, when I service it to the, whoever hires me, it's ultimately, I give them a digital file. I don't give film right. anymore, that's for sure. But for you, the film is part of the creative process. I mean, that's part of the creative decision you make. Yeah, it has been. It certainly has been, like, picking film stocks and, and, and knowing how they're going to look in a certain situation. So I need to uh, adjust uh, what I understand digital to, to compensate those film stocks. It's like certainly you know available because it's really digital is like mana it can be anything <laughs> we were looking at some of your photography and i mean first of all it's it's really great stuff but a couple of things in particular we thought would be interesting just to kick around about particular images like some of the pinups you have in your Flickr feed just that that uh-huh. sort of retro style lighting how do you do that if you care to share and and with like the heavy saturation and things like that with it well there was a time when i was doing uh cross-processing, but I know that at the time when I was doing it, you know, people were doing cross-processing, but they were just, they were just cross-processing, uh, shooting chrome and processing it in negative and not really, I don't think they were really taking the technic- the time to technically understand what happens between chrome and neg, and they would get very, like, super, super contrasty negs that in my mind, look pretty crappy, just so off the scale. And I, I tried to, you know, to certainly have enhanced colors and all of that, but I wanted it, I didn't want it to be crazy. I wanted skin tones to still look like skin tones. I, I, right. I didn't want them to go green and yellow and, like, ridiculous looking. So I spent a lot of time just sort of trying to understand, you know, when, when I was shooting it and I was processing it and I was printing it. It really was a three-stage uh, thing for me, and so I knew that uh, you know uh, when you when you process chrome uh, neg, it would get it would get blocked up and really really contrasty. So I would light it really flat because I knew that it was going to block up, and and so that's when I started using like umbrellas with two sixteens uh, in front of them and stuff like that to just really really soft soft light, and then uh, and then processing it. Uh, you know, a certain way, and and printing, and sometimes using masks, and sometimes not. Wow. Um, but just to get all of that. Uh, and there was a time when I wouldn't even tell you how I did that, but now I don't care because <laughs> I don't do it anymore. I'm, <laughs> like, no, I'm not telling you. Uh, and it's funny because there's not too many labs that even do the kind of work that I, that I needed to have done. Yeah. Um, and in LA, they would charge me through the nose. Like I had to pay like a, like a hundred bucks for a print, and it was wow. like, ridiculous. Wow. So, um, but anyway, so it was like a three-stage process. So, so the pinup stuff, um, you know, the pinup shot with the guy with the dynamite and the cigar. Right. That was my first sort of. Uh, that was my first test uh, when I was sort of m- moving on, and and that picture is actually. That's not. I mean, I kind of stole that picture from uh, a linebacker uh, image uh, from the Saturday Evening Post, oh, okay. and it was a. Uh, it was a, you know, like a, like a, an illustration, wow. and I got, I got a lot of inspiration, and, and you know, I'm not, I, I never pretended to, to come up with all the ideas, but the, that was Ryan Decker, and, and uh, 
uh, like Norman Rockwell. I was really inspired by those colors and those ideas, and I just thought they were really cool. And I was, you know, sort of working on ideas to to get my book to evolve, you know. Um, and I wanted to match the feeling that that came from that from those, you know, from, from that time from the 20s and the 30s, which I loved. I loved that whole like the look of the women and the, the whole, like, the funk of it was awesome. I just thought it was so cool. And uh, and at the time in L.A., there was, like, swing dancing was in and okay. all of that kind of stuff was going on. And, and, you know, a lot of the women and the men in L.A. really kind of dressed that way. And, <laughs> and they had that whole kind of vibe going. And I just thought it was so awesome. It is. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, I just love, like, the style of the clothes, you know. I just love the women with the hair and the makeup. I just thought, I just thought it was awesome. And I... I just wanted to shoot it, and that, uh, like that shot of the, um, that Thanksgiving gone wrong, the woman with the big turkey and, oh, right. <laughs> and, the, and the cleaver and all of that, I just, I'd have this idea about, you know, being Canadian, I also, like, never really had Thanksgiving the way you have it here in America, and, uh, and so I just thought, wow, what if you do this sort of Thanksgiving gone wrong, and I knew this girl through a friend of a friend, her name was Liza May, and she just, she just, that was her look, man. It was just like, that's what she looked like. Perfect. You know, so I had stylists and makeup people, and, and I was in a friend's kitchen, and I, oh. and, and I had all these awesome people contributing who were sort of all building their book at the same time, stylists building their book and prop stylists building their book and makeup artists building their book. Everybody was like, you know, so everybody did everything for free and stuff, and it was oh, awesome. That's really cool. You guys nailed it. Yeah, you yeah, know. I think we did. A lot of that stuff was... But the lighting was all like really flat, and uh, and then just you know processed and printed accordingly. Just big diffused lighting then. Yeah, just like really looking for really creamy skin tones. And, That's great. But the, my thing back then was like really. I mean, I was working with guys that were really into the the Ellen Chrome Octobox thing, and right. I don't know. I, to me, it seemed too easy to, to shoot with that thing. <laughs> I, I just thought it was like you know. I mean, everybody did it. And and I I have certainly used it since then, but I I was trying to I don't know like I just felt like it came too easy like I don't know I, I just feel got to be giving birth to an image I really feel like That's a good way to put part it. of it <laughs> there's the quote for know, this the show. art of it is is the lighting and the tweaking if you're just throwing up a big octobox and blasting a celebrity on white I don't know it's like who cares the trick is like getting the celebrity not the lighting part right <laughs> so which and that's a tough trick so not that that's not to play that down because that's Absolutely. tough too <laughs> but, that's a really um, good point I mean that that's that's really cool perspective on how things have have sort of evolved and people I mean it's it's one it's good to have all these light modifiers available and stuff like that but it really does kind of take some of the I think creativity out of out of some of the process and it's yeah, neat. It's neat to definitely. hear that you're not giving that part up. <laughs> no, I'm. I've always like considered myself like a technical guy when it comes to lighting. I, I feel like I could light anything anywhere, anytime, and I could light it really well. And and I, I always, you know, I tested for quite a while, and, and I, you know, I had some bad, just some bad vibes happen to me where I would work with people who would hire sort of the top assistants. Uh, and were like makeup artists turned, you know, quote unquote photographers, and they would hire the best assistants, and we would basically be doing everything but pushing the button. Wow. And, I, and I, you know, I kind of resented that kind of stuff, but, you know, it's no point in getting bitter about it. You just try to do your own thing and try to, you know, that like ultimately a person like that is not going to, they're not going to sustain because they don't. If they don't really have the wherewithal, and chances are they probably won't stay in it anyway because they, you know, they probably came to it late and right. just as easily go to something else. So. 
So, but I'm proud of the fact that like I I learned to light, you know, and lighting is really important to me, and you know I take my time and I, I you know I, it matters to me, it really matters, and and, and subtleties because I think you know light, you're telling a story with light, like a musician is like you know telling a story with with how you know like what keys and octaves and stuff. That's so, cool. Well, uh, we need to look at wrapping up, but before we do, um, do you have any advice for any of our listeners with uh, getting started with their lighting or... Um... Get out of it. Don't do it. <laughs> Change professions. Become a brain surgeon. It's easier. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> I joke. What, any, any advice? Well, my one piece of advice that I give to everybody who I ever see with a camera is to get closer. <laughs> Very good advice. Yeah, I find that people just always take pictures way too far back. For me, the, like the thing that got me into photography was was looking at family photo albums and seeing people, and and it doesn't matter who it is, but if it's but if it's you know sort of an engaging image because you feel like you're in there, then then that's the coolest thing. So so that's know, really cool. If you're gonna take a yeah, if you're gonna take a picture of your cousin Joanne at the Eiffel Tower. The bottom line is you don't need to see the Eiffel Tower. You need to see Joanne, and then you'll remember that you're at the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> That's a great uh, point. There's, yeah, there's plenty of pictures of the Eiffel Tower, and chances <laughs> are you're not going to take a better picture of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so that's my word of advice. And for lighting, I, I would say, uh, you know, don't make it too complicated. Don't, don't get bent out of shape. Uh, just try to... Uh, you know, I, it's tough to, you know, because people light with so many different things. I'm, I, you know, I'm sure most amateurs don't have access to the kind of stuff that I have, a right. suit and camera flash and stuff like that. But I would just say, like, you know, experiment and, and, and see what it's like when you, when you, um, you know, overexpose, you know, change ratios between background and foreground and stuff like that. And just, just don't be afraid to try it, because, especially with digital, because you can just throw stuff out. It's not like it's costing you any more to, uh, to hit the erase button. That's a good point. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really love this interview. You had a lot of really good points. It was cool just to hear your story and how you've, how you've come to where you are. Before we go, though, we always, we always like to do a kind of a fun thing at the end of, of our interviews. We have a couple of questions here we like to just ask real quickly, kind of like rapid gonna fire. Are you going to be like James... James yeah, <laughs> it's like the it's just like <laughs> the the inside the actors workshop. Yeah, this is like kind of off the cuff, real quick answer sort hey, of stuff. Are you up for it? Okay, uh, yeah, sure, man. All right, cool. Uh, let's see, uh, wide angle or telephoto? Uh, uh, wide angle. Okay. Uh, see, now I was gonna say telephoto after you said to everyone to get closer. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but I just think I think that uh, okay, wide angle, but get close. Okay, well, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. So you, move in with the wide angle and like funk it up a bit. Manual zoom. <laughs> okay, two lenses you can't live without. Uh, well, for the medium format, a one ten and a one forty. All right. Uh, jazz or rock? Uh, rock. How about uh, female models or male models? <laughs> uh, yeah, female models. <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite subject to shoot? Uh in an uncontrolled situation, I would have to say kids, but in a controlled situation, anybody that's anything that's paying. That's great. Anyone that's paying. <laughs> that's good. All right. How about favorite studio accessory? We stump everyone with this one. Uh, the, the what do you call it? The C stand. <laughs> that's a good one. I haven't heard that one yet. Uh, favorite city to shoot in? Because it sounds like you've been all over. Uh, you know, I've never I've never done jobs outside of uh, either LA or New York, but. Uh, um, I would like to. I don't know. I think I'd like to shoot in Venice, in, in Italy. It's oh, wow. beautiful there. Ooh, that's cool. All right. 
I think that's uh, pretty good with wrap, yeah. wrapping it up. And uh, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's all we have for this episode of Lightsource, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for links to the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you'll also find links to our photography and kind of keep up on some of the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us questions or feedback about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll either try to answer those questions on the show or on the forum in the lighting's question section. Until next time. Take care. Brightest podcast on podcast. All right, not a polecat. It's a podcast. No, it's definitely not that. <laughs>